Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. We are doing an additional rookie snapshot edition. I told you that Eric Edholm and I weren't done covering rookies and so... Uh, Matt Harmon is gone today. I tapped our Yahoo Sports draft expert, Eric Edholt, to come on back. And let's discuss some of these rookies that were drafted after round two. Not the biggest names, necessarily. Thanks for coming back, Eric. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we could squeeze in at least one more of these puppies. Are you ready to flex some fantasy muscle here? I think I could do it, yeah. I mean... I, I average about fifth, sixth place uh, in most of my leagues, so I'm I'm always a little bit competitive and a little uh, underwhelming. I'm like the you know, like the Jeff Fisher teams of, of fantasy football. I mean, that's better than Dalton Del Don. So yes. welcome, let's do it. <laughs> you said it, not me, right? <laughs> no, he'll come after me. It's okay. All right. Um. So let's talk about. Actually, let me frame it this way: When the Raiders selected Henry Ruggs, the first wide receiver off the board. What did you initially think? I thought it made sense from a, you know, obviously if you want to go back and look at the history of the franchise from an Al Davis sense, but, you know, it did stun me that they wanted to add some juice and, and add juice in the form of a guy who can, yeah, he can catch the long ball, but he can also take a little hitch route and, and go 80 yards with it too. So I thought that home run hitting ability was going to be real attractive to him. I just, I didn't know if they'd have to move up for him. There was some talk that maybe he'd go even earlier than that. So it was tough to project if Ruggs was actually going to be there for, the, for them to pick, but I thought it made some sense. Well, remember when we spoke and we did the first rookie or the wide receiver rookie snapshot, we were, I think, both thinking that either C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy might make more sense in that offense because of their versatile skill set, whereas Henry Ruggs is much more, admittedly, than a home run hitter or a speedster, yep. but didn't offer the sort of inside-outside um, ability that, like, Judy, for instance, would, or, or that C.D. Lamb would, who were the other two highly coveted prospects, right? Yep. Yeah, I think that's right. And the only thing that kept me from from mocking Judy, I think I did once early in the process, but the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, Jerry, Judy, I think you may, it may have been you, I'm not sure, Compton to Amari Cooper, um, mm-hmm. and, and they didn't know what to do with him. You know, I mean, John Gruden didn't right. really have a role for him. So that was my one hesitation with with Judy going there, but Lamb, I could see. I mean, I, I understood why they might like him, and I also thought though he and Ruggs were the two that, even though they're different styles, I thought made the most sense. So then, when the Raiders drafted in the third round, Brian Edwards, wide receiver out of South Carolina, did the Henry Ruggs pick make a lot more sense? 
You know, it did. And although I didn't have time to recover because I think well, one pick later, they took yeah. Lynn Bowden. And I was sitting there saying, yeah. wait a minute. Okay, that's three wide receivers. Now they've sort of since said that Lynn, Lynn Bowden's going to be primarily a running back. But, mm-hmm. you know, in that moment, I thought, are, are they just completely overhauling their receiver room? But yeah, I mean, the complimentary skill set you have with a guy like Edwards and somebody like Ruggs, they can absolutely work together even with the players the Raiders still have there. So it, it's made more sense over time. But, yeah, I, I could absolutely see that. How about you? I mean, was that something that threw you off or was something you kind of embraced? Well, I didn't like the Henry Ruggs pick Im- immediately. Okay. To me, it was a very, like, on-brand, you mentioned the Al Davis history uh, pick, but it didn't make sense cohesively for moving an entire unit together forward. But when they did make the Brian Edwards pick, I thought, oh, Okay, like a nice physical outside receiver who could be a big slot. I mean, there's some debate as to whether or not he's best projected to be an X at the next level or a big slot at the next level, but still has that similar versatility. Definitely a raw player, but brings like that grood and grit and that high character that Mike Mayock likes in a player. Um, Let's talk about Brian Edwards, because I don't think a lot of people, he wasn't on all the draft boards, you know, after round two, people sort of like, eh, who's next? So let's um, tell fantasy audiences about him. I mentioned he went to South Carolina, 6'3", 212 uh, pounds, broke every single record, basically, the Gamecocks had, uh, started all 12 of his games as a freshman. I'm, I'm sorry, he start, yeah, he started and played uh, as a fresh, as a true freshman in 12 games. And I think probably the most notable record he broke was Alshon Jeffrey's school record for receiving career yards. Yep. Yeah, they've had some pretty good receivers there over the years, but none who really had the four-year career that he did. And you know, at times without great quarterback play either. That was a big issue, especially last season when they had uh, two guys essentially go down. So, you know, really physically impressive guy, has some good straight line speed for his size, you know, isn't afraid to do the dirty work a little bit, you know, played through some injuries. If you watch the App State game, he was really the only guy out there who who, who could do anything. And they overthrew him for a game-winning touchdown. But it's just this consistency throughout his career was really good considering. I mean, you know, I just – I loved his style. Uh, did he drop some passes? Was he banged up at times? Yeah. But it was he was a fun player to watch. And I want to say he ended up somewhere around number 70 or 75 on my overall board. So, you know, he, he went a little bit later or right around where I expected. What was the first word that came to your mind when you were watching his tape? Yeah, it was physicality, Liz. I just, I love the way that he competed and went up for the ball, you know, in traffic, um, you know, fought through tackle attempts, you know, kind of disrupted defensive backs when they tried to press him and, you know, got into his acceleration pretty quickly there and did it with physicality and burst. So really, you know, we talk about like converting speed to power as a, as a pass rusher, but you saw it a lot with him kind of sinking into his brakes and exploding through there. Look, he's not quick or agile, really, but he right. kind of makes up for it with all those other things. And I think that physicality, especially those big, strong hands he has, uh, really showed up. I mean, I love some break sinking talk. Now oh, we're yeah. in it. Let, let's keep going. <laughs> um, my word was flex because of his strength, because he's constantly flexing. Um, you mentioned his cons perfectly, his lack of agility. Um And, you know, him being banged up, it was the, I believe, a foot injury, right? A a broken foot that he had in preparation for the combine that 
prevented him from running the drills in Indianapolis. So that, I think, also depressed his stock and, and frankly, narrative awareness about him um, coming into, quote, draft season. What was yeah. one of the what was the key need to know stat about Brian Edwards that you think really is really representative of his skill set and potential? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the fact that he was a freshman year starter. He played in 48 games at South Carolina, and he had at least one catch in all 48. And, you know, again, combining that with the up and down quarterback play, the fact that Debo Samuel was there for, you know, what, three of his four years, uh, a team that sort of was geared to run the ball in a lot of situations, faced SEC defenses. That's a pretty phenomenal stat from a consistency standpoint. Obviously, lends into fantasy as well in the sense that he's reliable. He's going to show up and be available for work. And so, you know, there's there's at least a, a good high floor for for what you could project him to be in the league. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Watching him beat out C.J. Henderson when you're talking about his physicality is something too. So yep. that that was a I really like that game against Florida. Um, yep. My key stat is that he broke 15 tackles in 2019, which is the wide receiver 15, a uh, wide receiver 5 rather. Just wow. one less than Antonio Gandy Golden who's been another one of my sleepers that we talked about last week. I just really I really like those tall outside perimeter guys who can high point um and anyway, uh, his tackle breaking ability again just speaks to the strength that I saw and the physicality that you mentioned that this guy, and you know, also we talked about this a little bit as a blessing and a curse when we discussed Michael Pittman, when you have a physical playing style like that, you are more susceptible to injury, but you can't, you know, the, you can't then complain that T Higgins isn't, isn't physical uh, and then uh, talk about, you know, that he's kind of soft or has trouble in press, you know, like you, you got to decide yeah. there's, there's a side of every coin. Yeah, and I mean those injuries definitely affected him. You know, the the foot came later, you know, after the season, but he also had a knee before that, and he's had, he's had a little bit of a history of a knee injury. But you know, he really fought through that. And I mean, other than the drop passes and maybe the lack of that short area quickness, I mean, he's a pretty complete football player, and that toughness goes along with it too. He was also regarded as a very smart player. Um, you know, does he need some cleaning up in his technique? Does he rely on his you know, his strength and athleticism to get by sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, I think, you know, he'll come in a pretty mature rookie and obviously that toughness has already been tested through, through really three of his, of his four seasons, I would say. Mike Mayock certainly looking for players who can handle living in Las Vegas as <laughs> part of the reason he liked Brian Edwards and actually Marcus Lattimore, the legendary running yes. back at, at South Carolina, who unfortunately, despite right being drafted by the 49ers because of knee injuries, didn't see his pro career blossom, but did go back to work in a coaching ish ambassador sort of level. What, what was it like the director of player personnel player or development or something? Player development, yeah, something. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, had a lot of really nice things to say about Brian Edwards and his character. So I, I think this is a really good culture fit, which definitely seems to be at least one of Mayock's um, primary priorities for these new players. Who was the player, at least on the field, skill set wise, that Edwards most reminded you of? Yeah, it's funny because on the one hand, I was sort of panning him this week on Twitter as a player who didn't hasn't lived up to the hype yet. But you know, you, you can't overlook the fact that, I mean, Corey Davis is a pretty good football player. And I mean, I don't know that he's special in any regard, but, um, you know, and he took a step back last year, but was pretty good in 2018. And I think has been hurt a little bit by the stigma of being the number five pick in the draft and certainly not living up to those standards, hence not having his fifth year option picked up this week. But mm. 
Corey Davis is kind of a guy style-wise that he reminds me of. He's not going to separate uh, by an immense amount, but he's going to be able to make those contested catches and, and fight off defensive backs. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you sort of think of him as a team's, you know, third or fourth leading receiver by the time he hits his prime, you know, that's great value for a third-round pick. I, I I can totally get behind that. So, to me, Corey Davis has played roughly like a third-round pick so far in the NFL. That was – so, you know, height, weight, speed, injury questions, they're all kind of similar. Did you have somebody that that, uh, that that tickled your fancy for a comp? I will admit that all of the comps for these players I found much more difficult than the higher drafted players because we've taken all the big names out. Right. you got to dig a little bit more, right? You have to find the third-round picks, and those, aren't, those don't come to mind as quickly. Um, so Brandon LaFell, though, was a player that I saw a lot of. Like, I, this is exactly what you're saying, like a very a wonderfully physical, complementary receiver who yep. lets the star do their thing, which is why, again, I think from a fantasy perspective, I don't want to deal with rugs, right? Like, I don't believe he's going to be consistent enough from at least in his rookie year um, from a redraft perspective. And I think Tyrell Williams is a big loser for Brian Edwards' um, arrival because I think the target share is going to get real moved around. But Henry Ruggs needs a Brian Edwards to be able to do Henry Ruggs things. Yep. No, I and I like your LaFell's comp. I mean, that LaFell comp, rather, I think that makes a ton of sense. He's one of those guys who was in the league for like a decade, I want to say, and, and played for a couple different teams. I believe won a Super Bowl in New England in his one year mm-hmm. there. And, you know, just one of those guys that that super reliable. You're, they're not going to set the world on fire. They're probably not going to have a ton of 140 or 50 yard games, but they'll get their 50, 60 uh, yards per game. They'll score a touchdown here and there. They'll go out and block. And I think that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm seeing for Edwards. Yep. A nice, reliable wide receiver three for fantasy purposes who isn't the star but lets the star do the star things. So, yep. great. All right. Um, let's move on to this one. Keyshawn Vaughn running back uh, out of Vanderbilt who Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers drafted. Now, everybody really had, you and I included, had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire projected to land in in Tampa Bay because Bruce Arians made such a big deal about vocalizing his desire for a pass-catching running back. But yeah. I don't really, you know, I, I don't really think that that's what we got from Vaughn throughout his college career, which didn't even start. He's from Tennessee, but he went to University of Illinois. We yep. both, I've lived in Illinois. You you live in Illinois now. Like he went there and, you know, was a starter and then kind of fell back away, decided he saw the writing on the wall, decided to head out to Vandy. But this guy was not a space back in college. Yeah, his 2018 season was pretty strong, in my opinion. I mean, I thought he was pretty darn good. I mean, I think he scored something like 14 touchdowns, you know, two college seasons ago. And I was excited about him. And I really kind of came into the season thinking this could be a sleeper. I was thinking, you know, he might work into that third round range. Well, he did, but I didn't Mm. necessarily, he didn't arrive there the way I thought. I went to a game against Purdue early in the season. They handed the ball you know, five of the first 10 plays from scrimmage, and then they got away from him. And it felt like that's time and time again. I'm not making excuses because I didn't I didn't love him as a prospect, but it definitely was clear that uh, the, the difference in offense, you know, the drop in quarterback play, you know, schematically, they seemed a little bit more vanilla last season. It really did affect him. He didn't hit as many long shots. You know, he didn't, he didn't do as much with the passes he caught. 
you know, they, they'd get down two touchdowns and, you know, he'd, he'd get five or six touches the rest of the game. So, yeah, he wasn't a workhorse. He would hit some some long runs. He caught a few passes. He did pretty well when he caught the ball for the most part, but otherwise it was kind of nondescript in a lot of ways other than his his blow-up a couple years ago on the field that earned him a, you know, 15-yard flag and things like that. Right. I mean, but... Yeah, he was a he was a strange one to try to figure out. He didn't make my top hundred. He was he was about 112th or 15th overall for me. It's interesting. I've said this before on other rookie snapshots. We don't look at each other's note. We don't right. talk before we put our words in. And your word, I'm going to give it away, is frustrating. Yes. And I'm just looking at this now for the first time. I have meh question mark <laughs> ambition outweighs talent. Like. <laughs> It's a very similar, like, I don't really, I don't know. I mean, and I'm, I'm comfortable saying I don't know. I mean, I love his effort. And I yep. think that's why I wrote ambition outweighs talent, right? He's compactly built. He's low to the ground, tricky for a tackle, like a hulking linebacker to get. He's got toughness for days. Former track star. We got a lot of former track stars. We're going to talk oh, about yeah. big surprise. A lot of speedsters here. Great linear speed. Lots of patience. But kind of just like takes what's given. He's not shifty. Um, you know, 28 balls for 271 yards and one touchdown through the air in his final year at Vandy. Like 28 receptions and we're calling this guy a pass catching back. Like I, I, that to me isn't what I thought Bruce Arians wanted. That yeah. that does not seem the ceiling to me. Yes. Yeah. I did feel like. They they may have missed out on a little bit of I mean basically it was all just screens and checkdowns with him you know I mean they didn't really have him run any kind of wheel routes or any kind of you know pivot routes or anything they just sort of it was very basic they had a new right, Riley Neal came over and played quarterback for them then they made a switch and it just sort of felt like the whole thing was a little bit disjointed offensively and they didn't maybe fully squeeze all the ability out of him but. Uh, you know, I'm with you on one thing. I feel like he needs somebody needs to sit him down and say, if you were more of a north south runner, you could hit more of those home runs that you try to hit. You know, I mean, he's you want to put it in baseball terms. I mean, he's like the 230 guy who who has a slugging percentage around 500. You know, I mean, he, he's got power, right? He can hit some long yeah. shots, but I, I feel like he tries too hard and doesn't take what's given to him and misses out on some yards. He tries to be shifty, but lacks that shiftiness that you were talking about. Right. I, I know he's, he has a frustrating evaluation. What was your key stat for him? Yeah, my key stat for him was just that, that what we just talked about, eight touchdowns over the past two years of 60 yards or longer. I mean, when you see something like that, you think, why wasn't he considered one of the best backs in this class? You know, he's running with an offensive line that I don't think had an NFL draft prospect this year or next year that I can think of on that Vanderbilt line. They had one a year ago. It was actually pretty good. But, you know, the fact that he has that kind of ability, had a long one against LSU, had some big games against, you know, some decent uh, SEC competition, but too inconsistent game to game and really too inconsistent run to run. So if they kind of give him a streamlined role where they say, you're going to master yeah. these types of runs and you're going to be good at these types of routes and start small and then kind of widen out from there. Maybe they have something there. And my, you know, my comp for him, which we'll get to, I'm sure is, is the same sort of frustrating, talented, not oh. sure exactly what you got kind of player. I'm interesting. To, I'm interested to hear that. I, I want to give my side. I have yes. two, 
My mine piggybacked on yours, which was scored a touchdown every 16 and a half touches at Vander Vanderbilt. But I did a little digging and I found I'm going to read this stat and you tell me who you think on Twitter wrote it. Okay. Random stat. Maybe only I find it weird or notable. Uh, Vanderbilt running back Keyshawn Vaughn was flagged seven times last year. A running back. Next highest FBS running back had five five NFL running backs had more than three penalties last season. Erica wrote that. I think that was me. I think (laughs) that was me. Yeah. That was during my draft prep. And I just, it was one of those things. I just happened to be watching the game where he kind of lost his mind and and earned a, you know, a, a flag and then another flag, like 30 yards on one play or something. And I thought, wait a minute, I saw another game where he got flagged too. So I started digging and, you know, he had, a bunch of 15-yard penalties. And so he's got a little bit of a a, a grit to him, and he plays past the whistle, yeah. both good and bad. So it was so bizarre to me to try to figure him out. I still am a little bit lost. It is dubious, but I, I, I did some digging. I saw that you had that stat, and I was like, but again, that yeah. adds to the frustration. Yeah. I think your word is the perfect word of this player. Yeah. All right, tell me. You know, I'm going to tell you my comp first. I haven't it. looked at yours. My comp is... And again, this was tricky. Um, I, t- I had to, I had to do a think. I went and did the Peloton, thought about it, came back, <laughs> and thought I had the answer. Shane Vereen oh. was the was the player that I I came up with. Um, again, trying to figure out how to. I guess I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but how to silo him, how to pigeonhole him, how to decide which piece of his game because it's all sort of mishmash to focus on and what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers might want to do the most with. And I thought Shane Vereen, who was obviously a New England Patriot, I'm fairly familiar with him, not just because he was on the Patriots, but because his brother Brock played safety for the Bears. Um, So both Vereen and Vaughn are 5'10". Vereen has about 10 pounds on Vaughn, but Vereen also played with Tom Brady, right, from 2011 to 2014 and worked in that check-down security blanket Tough-ish, tough, yes, but also um, a bit nondescript capacity. Yep, yep. And you're right. You know, the thing is, too, if I remember correctly, Shane Vereen was sort of sparsely used as a receiver coming out of college, but they kept the, the staff kept saying he can catch the ball well. So there's definitely a crossover in that regard. I went with a different style of back. And again, I'm with you. It was hard to really kind of narrow down and, and really sort of get that perfect player because you don't want to go too high but you don't want to go too low. Like I started at Ruben Drones. I thought maybe I could see him being more of a power back if he's given the right direction, but that wasn't quite right. So I ended up with Doug Martin. And so obviously Bucks, Bucks, it's easy to kind of make that comp. Okay, okay. But the thing, you know, like the muscle hamster was his nickname, right? Like uh, if you see Vaughn's specimen, I mean, he is incredibly well built. Like he looks the part for a, quote unquote, smaller back. I mean, he's 215 pounds. I don't want to say he's small, but you know what I mean? A shorter back. So that came to mind. Plus just the fact that Mark would have a great season followed by a crummy one, followed by a great one, followed by, you know, it's like you never knew what to expect from him. And Martin was always sort of famous for trying to like, you know, hit doubles and triples when he should have been trying to hit more singles. I, you know, it's not a perfect comp, but that's who came to mind. I I think it makes sense. I think, again, some of these, players we're not we're not we don't know because they are going to be used differently than they were in college right so we're it it, we can't we have to sort of make a leap of faith here on them and 
I mean, speaking of leaping of leaps of faith, Washington made a giant leap of faith, I think, in in drafting Antonio Gibson, who, oh gosh, I mean, let's just pour one out for Laz, our uh, our product guy, who has to decide what sort of eligibility Antonio Gibson is going to have in fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Is he a wide receiver? Is he a running back? Is he a gadget? Can he do all of the things? I mean, before we decide officially, I want to know what the first word was, and then we can talk more about the player for you. Yeah, my first my first word was raw, only because yeah. he barely played last, you know, 2018. Didn't even start this year as a starter, and they was really like a kickoff guy, kind of a gadget guy. And then, you know, by the SMU game when he went wild on a nationally televised game against an unbeaten team this final score was like 58 to 50 or something I don't even remember now but you know he had this incredible line with not that many touches but you so you could see I thought that night I thought this guy Cordero Patterson like is he that good is he that fast Mm, you know mm. so um but raw in the sense that he freely admitted the reason he didn't get on the field earlier he didn't Get the playbook right away. It took him a while. And I appreciated his candor when he said that. I he said at the combine, and I don't know. So the talent is is exciting. The the current product is unknown. What do you, what did you have for a word? Uh my word for him was surprise. Like I yeah. just, I, I, I don't know what we're gonna get. And also, I think now is a good time to talk about his background because you mentioned his athleticism, his physical ability being exciting. Well, he played football, basketball, and ran track in high school. He placed third in the 100-meter dash in the state track meet. Uh, He's from Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. He's a JUCO kid who went to Eastern East Central Community College for two years. Then he went to Memphis. At Memphis, he was mostly used as a wide receiver. But you got Ron Rivera comping him to CMC, saying that he wants to use him as a running back. And obviously, when you look at the backfield in Washington, you're not you're not thrilled, right? There's some obvious hole. You got like a 35-year-old Adrian Peterson, and then you right. have Darius Geis who can't stay healthy. And then you've got this absolute gadget who was used as a receiver in college. Might It feels like he's going to be used more as a running back, a pass-catching catch, running back in the pros. Um you know, it's versatility. I, I feel yeah. like that's one of the best things about him is the vast versatility. I have to also admit when I was watching his tape, you know, we talked about how Jalen Rager was used in manipulated schemes and was a home run hitter and excelled in in non-traditional ways, right? right. And also threw up that peace sign at the end of like just blowing everyone by. And yep. this kid does the same damn thing. And for a second, I was like, oh, uh, am I watching? Like, do, do I have the wrong tape? Because you know, you start to watch a lot of the stuff, and your your mind just sort of turns into to butter once in a while. But so I like, you know, he's electric for sure. Change of direction, contact, balance, home run hitter, as you expect with this with a track star, big play potential. But like the other side of that coin needs to refine his game. You talked about needs reps at each slash either slash or position. I think as a runner should probably be a little bit more patient and, you know, let his holes develop. And as a wide receiver, he's got some obvious route tree issues. Yep. Oh, no, you nailed it right there. The, the, one of the things you said really hit home for me. It was like time and time again, you'd see him hit the hole too hard, run right up the back of his of his blockers and, you know, be stuck. He'd be in a phone booth and he couldn't get out. What he needs is obviously space. And that doesn't mean he can't run in between the tackles. It just means it's almost like he has to have that 
one Mississippi go, you know, especially on those, you know, those slower developing, uh, you know, whether it's inside zone or, you know, a trap play or something where you got to get, let the guy get out. Cause he, he has burst, but he's still developing that, that positional comfort. So with all these athletic skills, you say, Oh, he's versatile. Well, he is, but I, I, you know, I'm fascinated to see what, what Rivera and, and, and the team does with him in year one, because he needs to like master one thing and then move on to the next. I'm just worried there may be an overload at some point. What's your stat? My stat is 14 touchdowns and 77 offensive touches. I mean, it's, you know, every 5.5 times he touched the ball on offense, he scored. I mean, you know, the sample size is obviously incredibly small. So, uh, you know, if he had 300, 400 touches over his career, that number wouldn't hold held up. However, you throw in his kick return ability, you know, you just say to yourself, he's just starting to scratch the surface. Who knows? I mean, that's what makes him so fascinating from a fantasy perspective. Not only could he be available at one or two positions, whatever, we'll find out. But uh, this might be somebody who in a year or two could be shockingly good. And it wouldn't it wouldn't stun me just because I've seen that explosive ability. I mean, the SMU tape, I'm telling you, was unlike anything I've ever seen for a guy who'd barely mm-hmm. touched the ball at that point. Wow. Well, it's, it's interesting because my stat piggybacks on that one, which is that Seven of those touchdowns you mentioned were plus four, 40 plus yards. <laughs> so again, when you talk about the home run hitting ability, when you talk about the athletic ceiling, nobody is disputing that. It is going to take some very crafty usage and dedication, which I think this kid has. I mean, I, I have a, a tremendous respect for anybody who moves up through the JUCO system and lands in the NFL. Like you talk about mounting obstacles and staying focused. So I think he has the makeup to do that. But this absolutely is, this is a project. He is a project. Um, And I think from a fantasy perspective, you know, redraft is another thing. But even in 2020, he is going to win some people some money in DFS. We're not going to see it coming. And then boom, it'll happen. Maybe like that SMU game you're talking about. And he'll just go wild for, for the bag. He'll get somebody the bag. Yep. No, I think you're right. That's a great way to say it is because I don't I don't know what you're going to get over the course of a season from him. There there may be games where he touches the ball four times, you know, and, it, mm-hmm. and he'll get dropped in mass. But the next game, he could have one of those 19 touch, three touchdown type of games, you know, where he catches some balls, runs the ball, maybe even scores on a kickoff, too. I mean, that that kind of ability can't go unsheathed, you know, for, or can't go sheathed for too long, I guess what I was trying to say. So, yeah, I think you're right. On a on a fill-in type of basis, you know, DFS situation, he's a fascinating one that you could probably get pretty cheap. And he may, you know, it's a total dart throw, but he may hit, hit a home run for you. Yeah, especially when you look at the the durability and age in the backfield in, in Washington. So it, yes. just, it would not surprise me if there's a situation in which he is committed to being a running back and – you know, a hot hand situation happens and Geist gets hurt again and Adrian Peterson is the early downs grinder and all of a sudden you've got this kid doing, well, who's your comp, actually, at that point? This kid doing blank type things. Yeah, so I couldn't settle on one. Let's start with the two. Ah, the me ch- either. I know, I have three, actually. So <laughs> okay. typical uh, scatterbrain here. But yeah, so for the low end, because he's got a big range. I have no idea what he's going to end up being. I didn't really know how to project him in the NFL, but... Uh, on the low end, he could end up being Ty Montgomery or CJ Proceis. You know, one of these sort of 
pass catching backs who doesn't ever really find a home. They're not terrible. They may have a little burst where they're, you know, a couple games here and there. Like, you know, Montgomery set the world on fire for a couple of games and then they're traded for a seventh round pick and barely heard from again on the high end. And, and again, I'm picking a wide receiver here, but one who's using the run game, Debo Samuel, like he could end up being that type of player, not style wise, like running wise, but in terms of how he's used and, you know, what his yardage and, and, uh, you know, production totals are. So I, I realize I'm picking a wide out for a guy who may end up being more of a running back, but Debo, you know, we saw in the Super Bowl, we saw in other games, they, he's essentially the fourth guy in that backfield. So that was kind of the one that I ended up settling on. I I had two here. Um, I think skill set wise, there are shades of Austin Eckler. Okay. Yep. But he's not the same size as Austin Eckler. Yep. He's built Bigger. more like like Joe Mixon. But I think that Joe Mixon is a much be- Joe Mixon is a running back who also happens to be an efficient pass catcher. Correct. You know, so, so, but he does the, the, physically he reminds me of Joe Mixon, but play style, he reminds me more of Austin Eckler, how I think he might be used because, you know, I'm looking again at Washington and thinking like, well, Melvin Gordon's the grinder and now Austin Eckler has earned more of a role, but it took a bunch of Melvin Gordon injuries for that to happen. Yeah. It's really hard to know. I mean, they may get into camp and realize he can't handle pass protection. You know, he's having trouble reading his blocks. You know, it, he was he said he had trouble with some of the zone read stuff because of what we talked about, kind of the timing mm-hmm. of it and everything. So they may get up there and realize he's got to be more of the receiver and, and less he's got to be split out as almost like a, you know, like a Niles Paul when they had him there. You know what I mean? I just I. Oh, it's so fascinating to really figure out what exactly they're going to do with him because he's sort of built like a small tight end, you know, or a big mm-hmm. running back and doesn't have it all together yet. But, boy, he could be fun in time. All right. So this next guy, I think it's it's interesting because the you know the first the, the the last two guys we talked about were kind of um head scratching studies who had some yeah. of the pieces but not all of the pieces and they fit and uh, Devin Duvernay uh wide receiver out of Texas is another one of these players where a lot of it makes sense but I'm not quite sure if it makes sense together this is another player who ran track in high school he was the 2015 Texas State 100 meter champion so we know he's got speed he played as a true freshman um in all 12 games uh two of them he was a starter Broke a lot of records. Another impressive player. Some debate as to whether or not he was the best receiver on this team, though. Um, and he lands in Baltimore. A slot receiver landing in Baltimore. And I like this. I wanted to talk about this player because a lot of time, Matt and I and you and I, when we were talking about what needs the Ravens had, you know, you're talking about they need a re- they want wide receivers to surround Lamar Jackson with. And Marquise Brown is this home run hitter with speed. And Miles Boykin is this, you know, this Kenny Galladay-esque high pointer with the catch radius. But how many security blankets does he really have outside of his tight end? Mark Andrews, right? Who I I think is, you know, an after-the-catch stud. Does he really have a reliable slot guy? Yeah. Because Willie Sneed isn't that guy. And also, Willie Sneed's contract is up at the end of the 2020 season. Yep. In walks this guy who 
when I I wrote down Dukes over Jukes, <laughs> he is like abstract art. I don't know what it means or how it works, but it <laughs> seems to. And also made me think when you think of the Baltimore Ravens, is there a more balanced offense on speed and strength? I know people are going to want to say the Kansas City Chiefs, but if you think about the strength, yeah, the power and the speed that Baltimore has on offense, this guy is hashtag on brand. Yeah, absolutely right. And and just one more layer to just the competitiveness with which he plays. You know, you you watch the LSU game and watch him just will his way out of a Grant Delpit tackle, and you watch him mm. dive for that catch two years ago. I forget it was the second game of the season. It was one of the more incredible catches you'll you'll see. You know, he he is one of those guys who leaves it all out there, and he's kind of got that running back build. So I like the fact that you know he. Yeah, he's a sprinter, but he sort of belies that that track reputation of being just a, you know, a sort of a, a great athlete, but not that physical. I mean, he plays with the physicality, too. So, uh, I, you know, I, I love his, his competitiveness and his confidence as a player. And you're right, he fits right in there. I mean, uh, they can throw so many different formations at people. They can they can put tight ends on the field, make you load up. And then a guy like DuVernay or Brown can beat you in so many different ways. It's they may not score as many touchdowns as they did a year ago. Or, you know, Lamar's stats may not be quite as wild, but man, the versatility, the flexibility they have, because I think Duvernay and James Prochet are both going to play. It's it's really exciting. Can you talk about Prochet? I don't know much about him. Yeah, I mean, so really productive guy. Played all four years at SMU. Not fast like he was a four six guy. He looked like a four six guy on tape but another incredible effort guy. And they traded a 2021 pick to get back into the draft and take him in round seven. I don't think there was any way he should have been out there in round seven. Like if you told me James Prochet went in round five, I would have said, sure, fine, okay. I thought he was a round four pick, but you know, went way later than I expected. Incredibly productive, makes these circus grabs, You know, super, also a super competitive guy, but not as fast, as quick, as fluid as DuVernay is. So... They're, they're technically different style guys, even though I think both end up in the slot. So that's that's the one, you know, the one sort of overlap there. And in terms of fantasy, would definitely ding DuVernay's like dynasty or keeper stock. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, he, he was so productive and so reliable last year. Uh, you know, you saw flashes in 18, but it really came on last season. You know, I, I, I can't help but think he's just a little bit more NFL ready with his quickness and, you know, and I don't know, you just, you, they, he, they threw 80, what was it, 128 passes to him and he caught 82% of them last year, dropped three balls. That's my stat. I mean, that reliability right there is, is so, so crucial for him. We have the same stat. So is that right? <laughs> Get gonna, out of here. Yeah, no I'm way. not going to belabor it. I have the same <laughs> stat. Uh, Proof he, that we don't peek at each other's sheets, right? Yes. <laughs> No, um, yeah, that is that. Oh, I also had that he he, despite being physical, like you mentioned, um, that he showed off his speed at the combine by running a four three nine, which was yeah. the fifth fastest wide receiver time. So, you know, I mean, three drops. Slot receivers are fast. You know, people always think they're like four or five guys who are quick, but you know, this guy can do both. I love it. Yeah. So, who's your comp? I went pretty big on this one, but if you think about how his career developed, I could see it playing out in a very similar way. Uh, they were both drafted in roughly the same zip code, and that's Golden Tate. So 
You know, ah. when, when, when Tate came into the league, people were having that debate. Is he a running back? You know, he sort of has that running back build. Is he only a slot guy? Is he just going to be kind of a returner, third, fourth wide receiver type? That's probably where Duvernay starts out his career. You know, I mean, he's he's not going to be in on every package. But by his third season, I want to say Tate really had broken out and had found a way to really maximize those skills, similar size, height, weight, et cetera. I, I just it the more I didn't think of that comp while I was watching him during the scouting process, but when we did this little worksheet, I thought, I think that works. So it's not as maybe as crazy as some people might think. What do who do you have? I have Christian Kirk. So Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yep. Very similar. Um along the same lines as you're thinking, just greener, just not you know, Kirk is an interesting study, too, because this was a player that everyone who was used in the slot in college and everyone assumed, oh, no, this is the end of Larry Fitzgerald. This is the new slot receiver in Arizona. Obviously, now with Kingsbury, we've got this spread offense, which means four wide receivers. But before Kingsbury came on, yeah. there was a question about where they, what they were going to do for Kirk and what it meant, assumptions about what it meant for Fitzgerald. And Kirk has evolved his game and his route running prowess to now play outside because I think of that physicality. Yeah. And I think that Duvernay could do that. He's not there yet. And and so, again, that's kind of why I was like, hmm, I wonder. There's some malleableness, some malleability, some moldability with DuVernay that I'm excited to see, especially when you think of all of the weapons that the Ravens have right now. Yep. And, and think about it. I mean, it's a different offense, but there's some real overlap to what Tom Herman did at Texas. Now, he had Sam Ellinger, who's more like Tim Tebow as far as a build goes, but you know, everything they do in the passing game is built off the running game, the RPO stuff, you know, even even some of the play action stuff they do. It all kind of builds off what they do with the run game. We know the Ravens obviously can run the football exceptionally well. They have to have their receivers who can block, but also, you know, create separation, make everything kind of look the same. So there's some real overlap to what he did in college and what I think he'll be asked to do in the pros. So, I love it. I mean, he's not the biggest guy, but give me give me Devin Duvernay's all day long. Those are those are great players who can help you win. Enough for nothing. If we look at the targets from a fantasy per- perspective, Snead drew forty five targets in twenty nineteen. Now, admittedly, Marquise Brown was a rookie and he was hurt, so I expect Marquise Brown's looks to go up, right? But Snead did draw forty five targets. A uh, Hayden Hurst also drew forty. He's obviously now in Atlanta. Yeah. And again, Sneed signed that one-year extension for $6 million last October, which means DuVernay has a real opportunity to become the slot guy in Baltimore for 2021 and could see, I don't know, let's put the over-under at 34, let's put the over-under 40 targets. Do you think Devin DuVernay, even with Prochet mixing in, sees over-under 40 looks? 40 targets? Yeah. 40 I, targets. I think he could do that, too. I mean, yeah. If unless you're worried about J.K. Dobbins catching a lot of balls or, you know, I'm trying to think like Boykin really taking a step forward. I know, again, I know these all play different positions and stuff, but yeah, geez, even with Brown's role in, increasing, assuming Boykin gets more, we don't know Sneed, you know, and the rest of the guys are hard to kind of figure. 
Yeah, I, I would I would go a, a tiny bit over that. I would think I, I think he could I get forty three targets. I think forty three is like a very comfortable number. If you want to yeah. go to fifty, shoot, I'll write that in the article that I have. <laughs> Eric at home said Why fifty not? on it. <laughs> What's three a game, right? You know, it's not too bad. You know, no, that's good math. Good for you. <laughs> you know, we never talk about tight ends in fantasy because. Here's a trope. They don't really do much their rookie year. Um, (laughs) So we've stayed away from them. But I figured, you know, when when the New Orleans Saints give up a load of picks to draft a tight end from a small school who came to that university as a quarterback and is very raw, but very physical, you got to talk about him. And I'm, of course, speaking about Adam Troutman out of Dayton. He was drafted by the Saints in the third round. This is, I mean, Trout, Troutman cost the Saints a um, hundred, let's see, one, two, three, four picks. four picks to the Vikings for the number 105 overall pick to drop four picks for this dude who grew up in Michigan and then went to Dayton. He was PS, the first Dayton football player to be drafted since 1977. That was before I think either of us were born. I know it was before I was born. I think before you were born, too. And uh, <laughs> okay. keep going, okay. keep going, keep going. All right. okay. <laughs> um, but you know, the Troutman is a player that was went to Dayton to be a quarterback. He's only played tight end a few years, and I'm going to give you my first yard, my first word when I watched his tape was a man among boys, and I yeah. also wrote "haya" because he just karate chops these <laughs> fools. Like there is no competition. I can't. Um, can you imagine being like a middle linebacker and being like, "Oh God," yeah, at like whatever Dayton plays against. I don't know whatever school Dayton plays against, and being like, "I don't. That's the guy I got to cover." Okay. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, it's so. I mean, true. He's six five, two hundred and fifty five pounds, and he's. To, to what, let's see how old is he 22 or something 23 yeah i mean and he ran an insane three cone drill too he didn't run crazy fast in the i want to say he ran like a four eight in the 40 but he ran a very very impressive three cone drill which measures short area quickness or whatever to the point where i thought well, this is guaranteed he's going in the top 75 now. You know, you from scouts, you kind of heard third round, maybe late second. I, I thought with that time, even with the level of competition, he went down to the senior bowl and looked apart, played really respectably well down there, I thought. Yeah. Competed as a blocker the whole bit. You know, I just sort of thought he's passed almost every test you can imagine. There wasn't anything he was going to do with his pro day that was going to change it. So I, to see him there past the 100th pick, I get why the Saints – said forget the rest of the draft picks we're, we're we're going all in on this kid and hopefully a year from now he'll be jared cook's replacement because he has big time ability he really does and they've taken some guys from out of the you know ryan ramchick played one year at wisconsin but it was at a d3 school before that and he's been a resounding success so i just think jeff ireland their scouting director felt like this guy is too good to be here right now we'll show him the ropes we'll give him a little you know, a little parcel of plays and and he'll do his thing and then we'll broaden it out and he'll be something special. What was the first word that came to your mind when you were watching him? Just fascinated. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. that's all I could think of because you heard his name start bubbling up. Early in the season, he had a huge game against Indiana State, right? I mean, it was like top 10 in the FCS and 
So I knew the name, but I thought, you know, until this guy does it consistently, I'm not really <laughs> to spend much time on him. But and it was when Jim Nagy, who yes. you know, obviously runs like when you get the Jim Nagy seal, seal of, of approval, approval in like <laughs> October or November, and yep. you and then and then you get to Mobile and the draft begins in Mobile. Yes. And you get to Mobile and you show up. And you participate and you are like praised during practice and then you actually catch balls during the televised game. Can you imagine for this kid, by the way, like he's on an act nationally televised football match. Yeah. That's, that didn't happen when you go to when you're at Dayton and just the sort of mental ability. I, I read an article where he was interviewed um, and he was like, yeah, it's just I'm just like a late bloomer, man. It's working <laughs> out. <laughs> Like, yeah, I can relate. Hey, is. yeah, that's how I felt <laughs> all my life. But uh, it's so funny. You know, you said you grew up in Michigan, too. I mean, he grew up north of parts of Canada. I mean, this is like way yeah. up there in Michigan and, and tiny high school. They had, I think, 19 players on their team his junior year or something. I mean, you know, he's playing both ways. He was a corner and a quarterback and hadn't caught a pass in a football game until 2016. So raw, you know, we could also use that word for him, too. But for a guy who hasn't played a lot at tight end, he certainly looks very comfortable at what he does. Now it'll be a different story come NFL time, but still, I'm I'm very impressed with what I've seen yeah. so far. The least surprising thing about him is that he played basketball in high school. Right. Oh yeah. That's that's it. He looks the um, part. What was your need to know stat for him? Yeah. So, I mean, he was super productive, especially the last couple of years in school. And you would expect that for a small school kid getting drafted into the NFL like this, especially at Dayton. Like you said, they haven't had a pick in, in many years, um, 29 years. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but uh, 100, 178 <laughs> catches, his long was only 42 yards. So, you know, granted, he was double teamed a lot and they always, you know, sort of had a safety and somebody else kind of watching him or whatever. But you know, he doesn't really have breakaway speed. He's got a little bit of suddenness to him, but I don't know that he'll ever be more than a kind of station-to-station pass catcher, even with his athleticism. That just that gives me a, an idea that he's more sort of Jason Witten style-wise than he is, you know, I'm like a Kittle or somebody like that. It's interesting because I, I did see a couple of comps comping him to Kittle and I, I I always think that's the laziest frankly in the last two years it's 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 crazy yes and y- you just can't do it like this kid is exciting after the catch and you you mentioned his three cone drill which was which was the stat I want to mention because again he just he has um an agility for his size that is next level yep um but I felt that he was more Dallas Goddard than pretty good anybody else I could I could think of yep I came up with Dawson Knox who was drafted by the Bills last year I like that one Knox is good that kid's good the only difference obviously is that he played SEC football versus uh, division two but still the what what made me think of it was that Knox didn't score a touchdown at Ole Miss he was banged up a lot so his his development was slowed there he was a former quarterback also so you know, you, you look at the kid and you say, man, he's just kid sort of built to be a tight end, 6'5", you know, 250, whatever. Surprising athleticism, light on his feet. Not a burner, but – and last year, Knox had some moments where he looked really good and some moments where mm-hmm. he looked like he's still a rookie who had 19 games in college. So that's the one that kind of popped into my head a little bit. 
What do you think about his hands? Like that was also, again, when you, you have to think about the reps, like he's got the physical ability. He doesn't have hands like Noah Fant, but he is kind of like a body catcher. Yeah. You know, he kind of like hugs the ball um, versus plucking it away from him. Yeah. I always worry about that because you hear the that that trope that 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 quote that like you can't teach hands. Right. And that's the only thing about him that that makes me a little bit nervous. That's a good observation. He double caught a lot of balls too that I noticed at the combine. I I think the uh, senior bowl. Excuse me. Senior bowl. Yeah, because in practice, you know, you'd see these guys doing like the individual work, and you know, if they drop a ball when there's essentially no defense or very, you know, it's one on one or something like that. It's it's. You know, it counts a little bit more, I think, than it would in a more of a competitive setting. But I don't remember him dropping balls, but I remember seeing the double catches a lot or just and I wondered, is it nerves? Is it is it what you're talking about? Maybe he doesn't have the most natural hands experience. I mean, it could be any of those factors. So that's one to kind of keep an eye on a little bit. Well, from a fantasy perspective, we had to mention him because obviously the Josh Hill hype bunny never went full watership down. I really <laughs> I was I that, that guy, too. To right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Jared Cook turned, as you mentioned earlier, 33 last month. He's coming off of like a tight end seven fantasy 2019 effort. Um, but he also becomes an unrestricted free agent in 21, 2021. And we know that Sean Payton loves projects and toys and i think his newest one is troutman so just someone to to think about for dynasty or just keep tabs on maybe check his development so that you're ahead of the game because tight end is always such a volatile position heading into the next season and we are gonna head into another my goodness season month whatever of different kinds of work we've got thursday night the um Schedule release is happening. Three hours. Sure. Three hours. Three hours. Yes. So you're going to watch all three hours? Uh, maybe the sound off. Yeah. How are they going to stagger this to keep me from like watching Housewives during one of the hours? <laughs> I don't think anyone should take you from your Housewives. I'm just saying. Well, on that note, I got to end. All right. <laughs> we'll be back next Tuesday for another episode of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. In the meantime, check out our new pod, Boxed In by Yahoo Sports, where the Yahoo family debates literally anything. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF, and that is at Eric underscore Edholm. We're out. I'm Mike Lizagoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, where our current focus is on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, as well as the 2020 elections. Subscribe and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts.
Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.